Chapter Eight of the History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume One, by Eliza Haywood. Chapter Eight relates how, by a concurrence of odd circumstances, Miss Betsy was brought pretty near the crisis of her fate and the means by which she escaped. Mr. Francis Thoughtless arrived in town the very evening before the day in which Sir Ralph Trusty and his lady were to set out for L. They had not seen this young gentleman since the melancholy occasion of his father's funeral, and would have been glad to have spent some time with him, but could no way put off their journey, as word was sent of the day in which they were expected to be at home. Sir Ralph knew very well that a great number of his tenants and friends would meet him on the road, and a letter would not reach them soon enough to prevent them from being disappointed. They supped with him, however, at Mr. Goodman's, who would not permit him to have any other home than his house during his stay in town. Lady Trusty, on taking leave of Miss Betsy, said to her she hoped she would remember her promise when her brother was returned to Oxford, on which she replied that she could not be so much an enemy to her own happiness as to fail. Miss Betsy and this brother had been always extremely fond of each other, and the length of time they had been asunder, and the improvement which at that time had made in both, heightened their mutual satisfaction in meeting. All that troubled Miss Betsy now was that her brother happened to come to London at a season of the year in which he could not receive the least satisfaction. The king was gone to Hanover, the foreign ministers and great part of the nobility attended him, and the rest were retired to their country seats, so that an entire stop was put to all public diversions worth seeing. There were no plays, no operas, no masquerades, no balls, no public shows, except at the little theatre in the Haymarket, then known by the name of F.'s Scandal Shop, because he frequently exhibited there certain drolls, or more properly invectives, against the ministry, in doing which it appears extremely probable that he had two views, the one to get money, which he very much wanted, from such as delighted in low humour, and could not distinguish true satire from scurrility, and the other in the hope of having some post given him by those whom he abused, in order to silence his dramatic talent. But it is not my business to point out either the merit of that gentleman's performances or the motives he had for writing them, as the town is perfectly acquainted both with his abilities and success, and has since seen him with astonishment wriggle himself into favour by pretending to cajole those he had not the power to intimidate. But though there were none of the diversions I have mentioned, nor Ranelagh at that time thought of, nor Vauxhall, Marlebone, nor Cooper's Garden, in the repute they since have been, the young gentleman found sufficient to entertain him, empty as the town was. Lady Mellison was not without company, who made frequent parties of pleasure, and when nothing else was to be found for recreation, cards filled up the void. Nothing material enough to be inserted in this history happened to Miss Betsy during the time her brother stayed, till one evening, as the family were fitting together, some discourse concerning Oxford coming on the tapis, Mr. Francis spoke so largely in the praise of the wholesomeness of the air, the many fine walks and gardens with which the place abounded, and the good company which were continually resorting to it, that Miss Betsy cried out she longed to see it. Miss Flora said the same. On this the young gentleman gave them an invitation to go down with him when he went, saying they could never go at a better time, as both the assizes and races were to be in about a month. Miss Betsy said such a jaunt would vastly delight her. Miss Flora echoed her approbation, and added she wished my lady would consent. "'I have no objection to make to it,' replied Lady Mellison, "'as you will have a conductor, who, I know, will be very careful of you. 
Mr. Goodman's consent was also asked for the sake of form, though everyone knew the opinion of his wife was, of itself, a sufficient sanction. Though it is highly probable that Miss Betsy was much better pleased with this journey than she would have been with that to L., yet she thought herself obliged, both in gratitude and good manners, to write to Lady Trusty and make the best excuse she could for her breach of promise, which she did in these terms. To Lady Trusty, most dear and honoured madam, my brother Frank, being extremely desirous of showing Miss Flora and myself the curiosities of Oxford, has obtained leave from Mr. Goodman and Lady Mellison for us to accompany him to that place. I am afraid the season will be too far advanced for us to take a journey to L at our return. Therefore, flatter myself, your ladyship will pardon the indispensable necessity I am under of deferring, till next spring, the happiness I proposed in waiting on you. All here present my worthy guardian and your ladyship with their best respects. I beg mine may be equally acceptable, and that you will always continue to favour with your good wishes her who is, with the most perfect esteem, Madam, your ladyship's most obliged and most obedient servant, E. Thoughtless. The time for the young gentleman's departure being arrived, they went together in the stage, attended by a footman of Mr. Goodman's, whom Lady Mellison would needs send with them in order to give the young ladies an air of dignity. They found on their arrival, at that justly celebrated seat of learning, that Mr. Francis had given no greater eulogiums on it than it merited. They were charmed with the fine library, the museum, the magnificence of the halls belonging to the several colleges, the physic-garden, and other curious walks. But that which above all the rest gave the most satisfaction to Miss Betsy, as well as to her companion, was that respectful gallantry with which they found themselves treated by the gentlemen of the university. Mr. Francis was extremely beloved amongst them, on account of his affability, politeness, and good humour, and they seemed glad of an opportunity of showing the regard they had for the brother by paying all manner of civilities to the sister. He gave the ladies an elegant entertainment at his own rooms, to which also some of those with whom he was the most intimate were invited. All these thought themselves bound to return the fame compliment. The company of every one present were desired at their respective apartments, and as each of these gentlemen had besides other particular friends of their own whom they wished to oblige, the number of guests were still increased at every feast. By this means Miss Betsy and Miss Flora soon acquired a very large acquaintance, and as through the care of Mr. Francis they were lodged in one of the best and most reputable houses in town. Their families known, and themselves were young ladies who knew how to behave as well as dress, and receive company in the most elegant and polite manner, every one was proud of a pretense for visiting them. The respect paid to them would doubtless have every day increased during the whole time they should have thought of proper to continue in Oxford, and on quitting it have left behind them the highest idea of their merit, if by one inconsiderate action they had not at once forfeited the esteem they had gained, and rendered themselves the subjects of ridicule even to those who before had regarded them with veneration. They were walking out one day, about an hour or two before the time in which they usually dined, into the park, where they were met by a gentleman commoner and a young student, both of whom they had been in company with at most of the entertainments before mentioned. The Sparks begged leave to attend them, which was readily granted. They walked altogether for some time, but the weather being very warm, the gentleman commoner took an occasion to remind the ladies how much their beauties would be in danger of suffering from the immoderate rays of Phoebus, and proposed going to some gardens full of the most beautiful alcoves and arbours, so shaded over that the sun, even in his meridian force, could at the most but glimmer through the delightful gloom. 
he painted the pleasures of the place to which he was desirous of leading them with so romantic an energy that they immediately and without the least scruple or hesitation consented to be conducted thither this was a condescension which he who asked it scarce expected would be granted and on finding it so easily obtained began to form some conjectures no way to the advantage of those ladies reputations it is certain indeed that as he professed a friendship for the brother he ought not in strict honour to have proposed anything to the sister which would be unbecoming her to agree to but he was young gay to an excess and in what he said or did took not always consideration for his guide they went on laughing till they came to the place he mentioned where the gentlemen having showed their fair companions into the gardens in which were indeed several recesses no less dark than had been described on entering one of them miss betsy cried bless me this is fit for nothing but for people to do what they are ashamed of in the light the fitter then madam replied the gentleman commoner to encourage a lover who perhaps has suffered more through his own timidity than the cruelty of the object he adores he accompanied these words with a seizure of both her hands and two or three kisses on her lips the young student was no less free with miss flora but neither of these ladies gave themselves the trouble to reflect what consequences might possibly attend a prelude of this nature and repulsed the liberties they took in such a manner as made the offenders imagine they had not sinned beyond a pardon they would not however be prevailed on to stay or even to sit down in that darksome recess but went into a house where they were shown into a very pleasant room which commanded the whole prospect of the garden, and was sufficiently shaded from the sun by jessamine and honeysuckles, which grew against the walls. Here wine, cakes, jellies, and such like things being brought, the conversation was extremely lively, and full of gallantry, without the least mixture of indecency. The gentlemen exerted all their wit and eloquence to persuade the ladies not to go home in the heat of the day, but take up such entertainment as the place they were in was able to present them with. Neither of them made any objection, except that having said they should dine at home, the family would wait in expectation of their coming. But this difficulty was easily got over. The footman, who had attended Miss Betsy and Miss Flora in their morning's walk, was in the house, and might be sent to acquaint the people that they were not to expect them. As they were neither displeased with the company, nor place they were in, they needed not abundance of persuasions, and the servant was immediately dispatched. The gentleman went out of the room to give orders for having something prepared but stayed not two minutes, and on their return omitted nothing that might keep the good humour and sprightliness of their fair companions. Persons of so gay and volatile a disposition as these four could not content themselves with sitting still, and barely talking, every limb must be in motion, every faculty employed. The gentleman commoner took Miss Betsy's hand, and led her some steps of a minuet, then fell into a rigadoon, then into the Louvre, and so ran through all the school dances without regularly beginning or ending any one of them, or of the tunes he sung. The young student was not less alert with Miss Flora, so that between singing, dancing, and laughing they all grew extremely warm. Miss Betsy ran to a window to take breath and get a little air. Her partner followed, and taking up her fan which lay on a table, employed it with a great deal of dexterity to assist the wind that came in at the casement for her refreshment. "'Heaven!' cried he, "'how divinely lovely do you now appear! The goddess of the spring, nor Venus's self, was ever painted half so beautiful. What eyes, what a mouth, and what a shape!' continued he, surveying her, as it were, from head to foot. "'How exquisitely turned! How taper! How slender! I don't believe you measure half a yard round the waist!' In speaking these words he put his handkerchief around her waist, after which he tied it round his head, repeating these lines of Mr. Waller's. 
That which her slender waist confined Shall now my joyful temples bind. No monarch but would give his crown, His arms might do what this has done. Oh, fie upon it, said Miss Betsy, laughing and snatching it from his head. This poetry is stale. I should rather have expected from an Oxonian some fine thing of his own extempore, on this occasion which perhaps I might have been vain enough to have got printed in the monthly magazines. Ah, madam, replied he, looking on her with dying languishments, where the heart is deeply affected, the brain seldom produces anything but incongruous ideas. Had Saccharissa been mistress of the charms you are, or had Waller loved like me, he had been less capable of writing in the manner he did. The student, perceiving his friend was entering into a particular conversation with Miss Betsy, found means to draw Miss Flora out of the room, and left them together, though this young lady afterwards protested she called to Miss Betsy to follow, but if she did it was in such a low voice that the others did not hear her, and continued her pleasantry, rallying the gentleman commoner on everything he said, till he, finding the opportunity he had of being revenged, soon turned his humble adoration into an air more free and natural to him. As she was opening her mouth to utter some sarcasm or other, he catched her in his arms and began to kiss her with so much warm and eagerness that surprised her. She struggled to get loose and called Miss Flora, not knowing she was gone, to come to her assistance. The efforts she made at first to oblige him to desist were not, however, quite so strenuous as they ought to have been on such an occasion, but finding he was about to proceed to greater liberties than any man before had ever taken with her, she collected all her strength and broke from him, when looking around the room and seeing nobody there. "'Bless me!' cried she. "'What is the meaning of all this? Where are our friends?' "'They are gone,' said he, "'to pay the debt which love and youth and beauty challenge. Let us not be remiss, nor waste the precious moments in idle scruples.' "'Come, my angel,' pursued he, endeavouring to get her once more into his arms, "'make me the happiest of mankind, and be as divinely good as you are fair.' "'I do not understand you, sir,' replied she, "'but neither desire nor will stay to hear an explanation.' She spoke this with somewhat of an haughty air, and was making towards the door, but he was far from being intimidated, and instead of suffering her to pass, he seized her a little roughly with one hand, and with the other made fast the door.' "'Come, come, my dear creature,' cried he, "'no more resistance. You see you are in my power, and the very name of being so is sufficient to absolve you to yourself, for any act of kindness you may bestow upon me. Be generous, then, and be sure it shall be an inviolable secret.' She was about to say something, but he stopped her mouth with kisses, and forced her to sit down in a chair, where, holding her fast, her ruin had certainly been completed, if a loud knocking at the door had not prevented him from prosecuting his design. This was the brother of Miss Betsy, who, having been at her lodgings, on his coming from thence met the footman, who had been sent to acquaint the family the ladies would not dine at home. He asked where his sister was, and the fellow, having told him, came directly to the place. A waiter of the house showed him to the room. On finding it locked he was strangely amazed, and both knocked and called to have it opened, with a good deal of vehemence. The gentleman commoner, knowing his voice, was shocked to the last degree but quitted that instant his intended prey, and let him enter. Mr. Francis, on coming in, knew not what to think. He saw the gentleman in great disorder, and his sister in much more. "'What is the meaning of this?' said he. "'Sister, how came you here?' "'Ask me no questions at present,' replied she, scarce able to speak. So strangely had her late fright seized on her spirits. "'But see me safe from this cursed house, and that worst of men.' Her speaking in this manner made Mr. Francis apprehend the whole, and perhaps more, than the truth. "'How, sir,' said he, darting a furious look at the gentleman commoner, "'what is it I hear? Have you dared to—' 
"'Whatever I have dared to,' interrupted the other, "'I am capable of defending.' "'Tis well,' rejoined the brother of Miss Betsy. "'Perhaps I may put you to the trial, "'but this is not a time or place.' He then took hold of his sister's hand and led her downstairs. As they were going out, Miss Betsy stopping a little to adjust her dress, which was strangely disordered, she bethought herself of Miss Flora, who, though she was very angry with, she did not choose to leave behind at the mercy of such rakes, as she had reason to think those were whom she had been in company with. Just as she was desiring her brother to send a waiter in search of that young lady, they saw her coming out of the garden, led by the young student, who, as soon as he beheld Mr. Francis, cried, "'Ha! Frank, how came you here? You look out of humour.' "'How I came here, it matters not,' replied he, sullenly, "'and as to my being out of humour, perhaps you may know better than I yet do what cause I have for being so.' He waited for no answer to these words, but conducted his sister out of the house as hastily as he could. Miss Flora followed, after having taken leave of her companion in what manner she thought proper. On their coming home, Miss Betsy related to her brother, as far as her modesty would permit, all the particulars of the adventure, and ended with saying that sure it was heaven alone that gave her strength to prevent the perpetration of the villain's intentions. Mr. Francis, all the time she was speaking, bit his lips and showed great tokens of an extraordinary disturbance in his mind, but offered not the least interruption. When he perceived she had done, "'Well, sister,' said he, "'I shall hear what he has to say, and will endeavour to oblige him to ask your pardon,' and soon after took his leave. Miss Betsy did not very well comprehend his meaning in these words, and was, indeed, still in too much confusion to consider on anything but what the consequences were of this transaction the reader will presently be informed of. End of chapter 8